The Eagle and Child, Episode 25. Mere Christianity, Book 3, Chapter 12, Faith. Hello, and welcome to The Eagle and Child, the hallowed pub of the Inklings. This is a podcast where each week, my friend Matt and I share a beer and we discuss the writings of the author known to the world as Clive Staples Lewis, or C.S. Lewis, or just as Jack to his friends. My name is David, and last week we were looking at the virtue of faith, and today we return once again to that virtue, and once again, ever faithful, Matt is with me. You think at some point we should update that intro to, I share a beer, to, I share a drink? Uh, we haven't done beer, I mean, I guess we did beer last week, but we'll be doing two beer. Weeks We'll ago. be doing beer again. Well, when we get to season two, so yeah. once we're off mere Christianity, you're going to be doing that intro, so you can do what you want. Are you okay with that? I can let go. You can. You actually can let go of control. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll see, guys. And if I don't like it, I will just replace it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming, like David and I, everyone was dying for this week's chapter, given the ending that we had to last week's episode. Incredible cliffhanger. It was a big cliffhanger. And so we're going to look at, this week, what's this deeper meaning of faith? And it must be a hard concept, because Jack starts it out by saying, if you don't get this, if this isn't working for you, Stop the chapter. Or even if it's answering questions that you've never asked, skip it. Yeah, that was, that was a strong start to a chapter. If I've written a book, no, everybody, you need to read every chapter. <laughs> and every word of every chapter <laughs> is what I'd be saying. So we'll, we won't do any more building of this. Let's just jump into the quote. Actually, this was a hard one. Because how do you follow? We, we like our quotes, or I like the quote, to be related to this week's chapter. Well, these both chapters were faith. So how did I, how, you know, I had to work here a little bit. But here's a good one. What are we to make of Christ? There's no question of what we can make of him. It is entirely a question of what he intends to make of us. You must accept or reject the story. And that's from a book by Lewis, God in the Dock, which is a collection of essays. I've actually never read that one. That's on my to-do list. Neither have I. And I, hopefully as we go through this, you'll see why I chose that quote. Well, today we are continuing on the subject of faith, so it seemed only appropriate that we would continue drinking the Macallan 12. I don't need to restate the nose of palate, but if a listener we did on the last episode, it's pretty good. It was special. <laughs> uh, so with that, cheers. Cheers. You just smell that aroma again. We're not doing that again. Do you remember any of this stuff? Sure. Amber, strong legs. Look at the legs on yes, that Yes, look thing. at the legs on that thing. <laughs> mm. Oh, I, I... That lingering slow burn. Yes, it's very nice. Yeah. It, it doesn't remind you of just iced cinnamon rolls? Not really. <laughs> uh, actually, th this week I, I heard a joke. What does C.S. Lewis keep in the back of his wardrobe? None of your business. <laughs> That's awful. Thank you. I was, I, I was, I was at, a, at a retreat the other week and people were taking pictures of the group at the end. And somebody said, well, quick, we need to laugh. Somebody tell a dad joke. And everybody looked at me. Oh, my goodness. That's the dad <laughs> joke in its own right. That should have got everybody to laugh. You don't even have to say anything at that point. I'm unappreciated in my time. <laughs> Okay, so we're returning to the subject of faith. And as Matt pointed out, Lewis says that if the reader here is encountering things that aren't useful or answering questions that they never asked, they should just feel free to skip it. 
I hope they never think that about our podcast. Yes. Lewis's disclaimer does not apply for this podcast. You cannot skip. That's like one of those disclaimers you see on news, whatever said here on a news channel or a movie, whatever said here is not representative of the actual parent company. <laughs> we do not endorse that statement. If you recall, in the previous chapter, Lewis spoke about one definition of faith or one conception of faith. This idea, this virtue that we hold to the truth despite our changing moods and emotions. He then spent the rest of the chapter preparing us for this second kind of faith. He says that when we really try and live out the Christian life, when we really try and live out the virtues, when we try and live out Christian morality, the moral law, we fail. And miserably. Yeah, speak for yourself. I don't do too bad. <laughs> and Lewis says that this other kind of faith arises in a man after he has tried his level best to practice the Christian virtues and found that he fails and seen that even if he could, he would only be giving back to God what was already God's own. In other words, he discovers his bankruptcy. Which begs the question, what does God actually care about? We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't give him anything that's not already his. What does God want? It's a good question. What does God want? We can answer this. We have a lot of subscribers. In essence, this goes back to the concept of the heavenly and hellish creature. God doesn't care exactly about our actions. What he cares about are the, that we become creatures of a certain kind of quality. It's a very ontological view that we become these beings that love him, that want him, that want to be with him. That's what's most important to him. Not necessarily our actions. Obviously, those are, aren't mutually exclusive. And they're clearly related. Yes. But yes, it's more about, have we become a creature that would even want heaven? Yes. And he just gives a little side point. He says, when we're in right relationship with God, we are naturally in right relationship with our fellow creatures, with our fellow man. Yeah, when you love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, might, and soul, you're going to love people because that's who he loves. And the comparison he gives is the spokes for a wheel. He says if they're rightly fitted into the hub and the rim, then they're going to be in right positions relative to each other. And all of this requires discovering our spiritual bankruptcy. And I think this is what Jesus was thinking of when he begins the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Basically, blessed are those who come to God knowing that they're spiritually bankrupt. They're coming as beggars, knowing that everything comes from him anyway. There is nothing that they can bring to the party. That's a beautiful way of looking at that. I've never heard it that way. It explains whether you're rich, whether you're poor, you need to be spiritually bankrupt. That also explains why it's hard for the rich to, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because if you've achieved a ton in this world, you don't feel very bankrupt. I'm not referring to money bankruptcy. I'm just referring to you have a lot of confidence in your abilities. And so you're going to struggle with becoming spiritually bankrupt. And you're used to being able to solve problems with a checkbook or a credit card. Or just your brain. I mean, that's what gave you the ability to write the checkbook and use a credit card. You think you, your abilities are so great. You start to think that you're a self-made man. Yes. I actually, in a confession, I had someone, a priest point out to me, you need to be very careful of self-sufficiency because you can become so independent that you think you can do it all on your own. Or at least thinking you're self-sufficient. Yes. Because you're not. Yes. And all you need is for the electricity to go out or your car to break down and you suddenly realize you're not quite as self-sufficient as you thought. Now, you're dependent to a far greater degree on God, but those are just small examples when you realize that you actually have your own limitations. That's exactly right. And in order not to feel that self-sufficiency, 
we have to truly discover, to truly recognize our spiritual bankruptcy. And, and we keep stressing truly and really, because we all can be taught it. In Sunday school, it can be like, hey, you can't give anything to God. And I can repeat that to you, David, right now. I can't give anything to God. But do I actually believe that? Not until I've tried to give everything to God can I realize that I can give him absolutely nothing. But here we have a strange twist and a paradox. And Lewis is going to present a few paradoxes in this, in this chapter. That in order to find out that we can't earn salvation, we have to really try. Here's what he says. We cannot discover our failure to keep God's law except by trying our very hardest and then failing. Unless we really try, whatever we say, there will always be at the back of our minds the idea that if we try harder next time, we shall succeed in being completely good. Thus, in one sense, the road back to God is a road of moral effort, of trying harder and harder. But in another sense, it's not trying that is going to bring us home. All this trying leads up to the vital moment at which you turn to God and say, you must do this. I can't. What a beautiful moment that would be. I asked myself if I've actually really ever gotten there. You think you have? Like, can you look back and remember a moment or would you just I say? Can, I can think of moments. I can think of some very, very low moments when I was facing something and, and I checked the tank of my car, so to speak, and saw it on empty. I was looking at having to face something and just feeling like I had no resources whatsoever to deal with it. And that was the moment when I, in Lewis's words, threw up the sponge. You know, I waved the white flag. I said, okay, God, you need to step in here because I am out of ideas. I'm out of options. Over to you. And would you agree that it's, I, I feel like I'm in a similar camp that I can remember various moments, but I can also remember, I, I shouldn't even say remember, I realize when I look and reflect on my life that I'm getting more and more close to doing that. I don't know if it necessarily comes in a single moment. You have these one-off moments. But like they say, excellency is not a specific action. It's a habit. Mm -hmm. Habitually, I find myself turning to God more and more and more with, it, with almost everything I do. And Lewis says that some people, this is, this is a moment like St. Paul or John Bunyan, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress. For, for some people, it is a moment. It's in the same way that someone can say, I gave my life to Christ on the 15th of April at 7.30 p.m. That's, a, that's amazing, beautiful, wonderful. But not everybody has the same experience. For some people, it is more of a process. It's more of a slow burn until they come to the point of realizing that they are giving everything to Christ. It's usually often then focused into a moment. For example, I could think of a few moments in my life where I have had that kind of experience when I have said, okay, God, I'm yours. It's interesting you bring that up, actually. It didn't dawn on me, which it probably should. I should reflect on it more. This is terrible for my spiritual journey. But it, it, It's Lent. It's a good time to do <clears throat> it. Yeah, it is. I actually do have a moment, more or less. But like you said, it's a, it's a slow burn to a moment. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to continue after it. But the most defining moment was at my first young adult retreat for the, I think it was a diocesan one, not a St. Bridges one. And it was two hours of adoration with some beautiful background music and a chance to go to confession. I remember I had no desire to go to confession. Uh, I wasn't super <laughs> Catholic at the time. I mean, like, I, I love faith. I was digging into it. I went to a non-denominational church for a while. And I was sitting there in that moment on my knees, and I chose to go on the cement rather than on the pew things for when I'm kneeling, because I, I spent that month in Mother Teresa's place in India. 
And the sisters always were on their knees on cement. And I thought to myself, these people are, they're 60, 70, 80 years old, and they're on their knees. <laughs> old women this. are tougher than I am. They are. And so I was sitting there on my knees, and it was a, a, the theme of the retreat was surrender. I remember just having my hands in the air, probably for like a half hour. I didn't care what anyone thought. It was the first moment I'd ever done that, didn't care, and just said, God, I'm done. Like, I've spent my whole life trying to find happiness, trying to find joy, and based on outside perceptions of what I've done and accomplished, I probably should have it. And I didn't. And so then I actually went to confession uh, and broke down to the priest. And that was probably my moment. There's a Matthew West song that's got a phenomenal line in it. The song is being sung to God. And it says, if it's true that you use broken things, well, here I am, Lord. I'm all yours. That's very fitting. You just think of that off the top of your head? Yes, I am Matthew West, and I wrote that song. <laughs> I meant like it just came to you. Yeah. You could quote it. Well, it was when I said, I'm yours. Here I am. Gotcha. And I heard, I know, here I, knew I am, Lord, I'm all yours. And you didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this isn't another David Copperfield moment. All of this is building up to that point at which we put our trust in Christ. Yeah, this is the point of the chapter. Let's just make that clear. And this is the kind of faith that Lewis is talking about. He says the sense in which a Christian leaves it to God is that he puts all his trust in Christ. Trust that Christ will somehow share with him the perfect human obedience which he carried out from his birth to his crucifixion. That Christ will make the man more like himself and, in a sense, make good his deficiencies. It's almost as if you try so hard to realize you can't, to then not trying, then you try again, now knowing you can do it because of Jesus, though. So it's not that you just quit trying. You, you try with a different perspective. Mm -hmm. That this will be done, not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And it's the best deal you'll ever get. This is the grand bargain. Yeah. Christ offers us something for nothing. He even offers everything for nothing. In that sense, the whole Christian life consists in accepting that very remarkable offer. In another paradox in this chapter, this requires obedience. This reminds me of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He talks so much about obedience. Mm -hmm. And this is why Lewis says, there would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him, but trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside of you. Beautiful. For those of you who know Eastern spirituality, I'm talking about Eastern Christian spirituality, this is what we call theosis. And we're going to be digging into this and the entire idea of what it means to become a son of God in book four. In this, this point right here, we need to stress this, at least for myself, and I think I speak for you, is why we do this. I, I can truly say, and I don't mean this in a prideful, arrogant way. The good kind of pride. I, I think it's a good kind of pride that I've dove in enough to faith and committed myself to it that I've actually gleaned the beauty of what that life can be like, that now I want to spread it to people. I've heard so many mistruths and misperceptions and misconceptions about Christianity that it breaks my heart. Because this, there's such a beauty in it. 
that I want to follow the teaching, not because I have to, but because I've glimpsed what your life, what my life will be like if I give it to this teaching. And hopefully, friends on this podcast, Dave and I are doing a decent job making this look beautiful. Uh, There's a reason this is radio, though. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're bad. Lewis then moves into dangerous waters because we now get to the question of faith and works. So historically in Christianity, this has been a very touchy issue. It was one of the central questions behind the Reformation. Sola fide. Are we saved by faith alone? Where does works fit into that equation? Lewis, he goes a different route. He says, Christians have often disputed as to whether what leads the Christian home is good actions or faith in Christ. I have no right really to speak on such a difficult question, but it does seem to me like asking which blade of a pair of scissors is most necessary. (laughs) That's fantastic. Although I always, every time I hear Lewis do, this is probably the 10th time he'd done this in his book. I have no right to really speak on this. I always think, (laughs) man, I think I have a right to speak on everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, we have a podcast. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine Lewis in the 21st century? A podcast. He'd be crushing it. It's funny that that's where you went. Because when you first said, can you imagine Lewis in the 21st century? I thought, here in California, he would love all the different microbrews. <laughs> I'm thinking of how he's going to evangelize like he did back then. That too, I'm sure. Maybe he'd be a lot like modern day David Bates. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest compliment I could ever give you, right? That's, that's, wow. We should just okay. end the episode. Yeah, Cheers. I, was just, I think I'm just going to shut this thing down now. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, li- I boost your ego way too much. This mm-hmm. is I'm like the hype man. on. This I've, I've got to get out of this door. I'm not sure my head is going to fit. Yeah, I don't either. Let's, let's, let's get back to the text. Lewis suggests that perhaps we can see the issue clearer if we compare the parodies of two different positions, the, the caricatures of them. The first position is what some people might think the Catholic position is. And we're, we're not at all going to go into this. But am I safe to say this isn't really truly at all what no, the position is? All right, no, not, not at all. Not at all. One set, he says, were accused of saying good actions are all that matters. The best good action is charity. The best kind of charity is giving money. The best thing to give money to is the church. So hand us over $10,000 and we will see you through. Lewis responds, the answer to that nonsense, of course, would be that good actions done for that motive, done with the idea that heaven can be bought, would not be good actions at all, but only commercial speculations. And if any listeners think that this is a Catholic position, it's absolutely not. I read that and I, I cringe hearing <laughs> it. In the Council of Trent, particularly in the Catechism, clearly teach that we're saved by grace. Mm-hmm. So that was one parody. He then goes to the other one. Which we should probably start by saying this might not actually be the Protestant one either, because if Lewis got the Catholic one wrong, he could be getting the Protestant wrong. Well, it's a caricature, so it's not meant to be strictly accurate. The other set were accused of saying, faith is all that matters. Consequently, if you have faith, it doesn't matter what you do. Sin away, my lad, and have a good time, and Christ will see it makes no difference in the end. Lewis then responds to this by saying, the answer to that nonsense is that if what you call your faith in Christ does not involve taking the slightest notice of what he says, that is not faith at all. Not faith or trust in him, but only intellectual acceptance of some theory about him. Don't even the demons know that Jesus is the son of God, but they don't get to heaven because there's more than just knowing he's the son of God and saying he's the son of God. And this says it right here. You should be accepting the teaching. And That's trusting. Important. 
Interesting. I and, like that. And having the obedience of faith, as St. Yes. Paul describes it in the epistle to the Romans. Yes. So we've now looked at two caricatures, two inaccurate representations at both extremes. So how can we, how can we find our middle course, find the accurate answer? And what a better place to get that accurate picture than through Scripture itself. And so this is from the New Testament book, the epistle to the Philippians, which am I correct you've brought up before is one of mm-hmm. your favorite books? It's my favorite book. Perfect. And Lewis introduces the verse by saying, the first half is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, which looks as if everything depended on us in our good actions. But the second half of the verse goes on and says, for it is God who worketh in you, which looks as if God did everything and we nothing. So once again, we seem to come to a little bit of a paradox. And Lewis says, I'm afraid that it is the sort of thing we come up against in Christianity. I am puzzled, but I am not surprised. You see, we are now trying to understand and to separate into watertight compartments what exactly God does and what man does when God and man are working together. You will find that even those who insist most strongly on the importance of good actions tell you you need faith. And even those who insist most strongly on faith tell you to do good actions. Analogies are difficult here because we don't have anything quite like this that we can compare. In our, in our attempt, as he says, to divide into watertight categories what I did and what God did, human language fails and it's very difficult to come up with an analogy to explain it. But here's one that I came up with on my way to church this morning. I remembered when I was in art class, the teacher would come alongside me and take my hand and help me do the drawing. It was ultimately the teacher who was guiding me. It was ultimately the teacher that was moving my hand. As I grew more confident, more strength came into my hand as I started to see what needed to be done and how to do it. And am I correct, Augustine, I've read a book on his where he goes into this. You still needed to say yes to her guiding your hand, Mm -hmm. but you can't take pride in saying yes because that's still a grace because you never had the chance unless she offered to guide the hand. That fills out the analogy rather nicely. Perfect. Thank you, Augustine. (laughs) You can be Lewis, I'll be Augustine. No big deal. <laughs> We're going to read this. That's perfect. No longer am I the pinky and you're the brain. No, no. You're not, you're not shaking that ever. <laughs> Jack then draws to conclusion this chapter and this book. He closes book three, the book that has been all about Christian morality, with an interesting conclusion. He says, I think all Christians would agree with me if I said that Though Christianity can seem at first to be about morality, all about the duties and rules and guilt and virtue, yet it leads you on, out of that, into something beyond. One has had a glimpse of a country where they do not talk about those things, except perhaps as a joke. Everyone there is filled full of what we should call goodness, as a mirror is filled with light. But they do not call it goodness. They do not call it anything. They are not thinking of it. They are too busy looking at the source from which it comes. Mm. They're too busy looking at the source from which it comes. It kind of reminds me when Lewis was talking about humility, about the humble man. He probably won't even be thinking about himself. Mm-hmm. In the perfect example, my goodness, I can't stop bringing this person up, but St. Maximilian Colby. Actually, people writing about him said, he seemed to always have time for you. And when he was there, he felt you felt like you were the only person he was talking to, even though this guy is trying to build this ministry that at one point sent, what, a million copies of a magazine or a newspaper. 
out to individuals every month, but yet you felt like you were the only person in the world with him. Well, I hear the bell for last call, and we're now done with book three. As usual, the outline and links will be in the show notes. Feel free to contact us through restlesspilgrim.net, Twitter and Instagram, we're at Pints with Jack. And next week we'll have something a little different. You mean drink-wise? Maybe. I hope you don't. I'm enjoying the McCallum. <laughs> Until then, further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>